0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. Amen. Um, a few, uh, in a few weeks, I will be going on uh, holiday. And uh, there, are, there are probably uh, many people that are away on holiday uh, at the moment. It's a long weekend. It's weekend. And uh, we're going away as a family up to Ayers Rock. And it's my dad's 60th birthday, and that was my mum that just clapped. It's not even awkward. So um, we're going away for my dad's 60th birthday, and uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm kind of looking forward to it because, you know, I, I know what happens when we take a long trip. You ever taken a long trip with kids? You ever done that? You ever decided to punish yourself and take a long trip with children? I know what's coming. If you're a parent, you know what's coming too. What's the question they'll ask? They'll say, are we there yet? When do we get there? And, you know, but they just constantly ask. It's not the fact that they ask once. Once is reasonable. Once an hour. I'll be happy with once an hour, but you and I both know that they'll be asking that every couple of minutes. Are we there yet? When do we arrive? When do we get there? And, uh, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't even know if that's something that we grow out of because I've realized that as human beings, the truth is we always want to get there sooner. If you're here today and you're single and, and you know, you're thinking, when am I going to meet that right person, you know? It's like everyone wants things to speed up. We want time to speed up. I'm telling you, as I'm getting older, I, I think I want time to slow down. I'm happy for time to slow down. But we're always, it's too so easy to, but you know, be impatient. I want to talk to you about a time that was to come that the world had waited for. Did you know that the world had waited for this precious moment in time when Jesus would actually come to this planet? History was pointing to it. Do you know that the prophets, and if you don't know what a prophet is, they're a person that will, at times, predict events in the future. And so prophets, thousands of years before Jesus came, or even hundreds of years before Jesus came, they'd say, there is coming a day when the Messiah would come. The Messiah means God's anointed one. And everyone knew what that meant. They say, when this guy gets here, everything is going to be different and everything's going to change. And they were very excited about it. So the prophets would write about it, detailed scriptures. And some of those scriptures we heard this morning as the band was leading us so well. And there were, the history would point to it. We would have uh, the prophets would point to it. There was one prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And he said, ah, here he comes now the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the prophets would speak to it. They would point to it. The Scriptures spoke about it. But to be honest, I think the reason the people were so excited for Jesus to come is because their needs pointed to it. The fact that we needed someone pointed to it. And we need Jesus. We need Him in our lives. And we need Him to come and play a role in our life. Do you know that history is divided into two sections, BC before Christ, and then AD, which really means the year of our Lord? Do you know that every time you write your birthday, you're writing that date from when Christ came? Do you know every time husbands remember your anniversary, every time you write your anniversary, or you remember your anniversary, you're writing that date down from the time when Christ came. In fact, anytime anybody decides that they're going to write the date for anything, it's always from the time when Christ came. Christ is one of the most, um, it is the most central part of our history and it's so much so that we even measure our time in when he came from. Do you know that Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That really just means people that weren't really following God. And the truth is, I don't think any of us are really born following God. We learn about him and we begin to follow him at some point in our life. But the Bible says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. John 3.17 says that Jesus, when he came by the way, That he didn't actually come to condemn the world, but he came in order that the world might become saved through him. That the world would become saved. And that's why history pointed to it. That's why the prophets pointed to him. And they said, when he comes, this guy, the Messiah, he's going to save the world. You know that the Easter story is really a story about forgiveness. You know, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, they had this real spirit of independence. If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Eventually, they just want to do things for themselves. My son started school this year, and it was okay to kiss him last year. It's not as okay this year. And I, you know, walk him up, and he stands in line, and there's no huge embrace. It's kind of like, hey... Maybe maybe like a fist bump or something, you know, but he's cooler now because he's five. He's got this sort of independence about him. Do you know that that's nothing new? In fact, that Adam and Eve, they had a real spirit of independence about them too. In fact, God said, hey, I want you to live life this way. And they said, we're going to do it our own way. And they did. It was the interest of self-pursuit. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what I thinks important to me. Do you know that when they did that, when they made a decision to pursue their own interests, that sin kind of entered into the world? And and sin is not just some moral standing that we have. Sin is not, it's not, let's not look at it narrow-mindedly and think about it just being morality. No, sin... Really, it kind of means coloring outside the lines. It just means living in error. It means God created you and He designed you for a specific purpose and you're not getting anywhere close to living that purpose. Can I be honest with you and say this morning that actually people all over the world aren't living their purpose for God. They're living in error of how God created them and designed them. That means that they're actually kind of living in sin. Do you know, years ago, I joined a netball team. And netball, which I thought was a girls' game, is actually a fantastic game. I really did. I thought, that's a girls' game. I loved it. I thought it was great. So we played, we had a mixed netball team, and uh, I remember playing one of my first games, and the person, do they have a, I don't even know, is it an umpire or a ref? Oh, there's some controversy this morning. I'm going to go with the diets. It's an Umpire. So the umpire, um, I would be playing, and the person on the other team, they caught the ball. And so immediately, I put my hands up. I'm a basketballer, right? And you know what she did? She blew the whistle. Stop the game. Obstruction. I thought, obstruction? What kind of ridiculous rule is that? Do you know that when they call obstruction, you're actually out of the game? So you actually have to stand and let them throw the thing, throw the ball. This is ridiculous. What a stupid game. You do the right thing, and they punish you for it. So we kept playing the game and then I would, you know, get ready again. Obstruction. I thought, this is stupid. How are we even supposed to stop these people? That whistle kept blowing. And eventually I thought, you you blow that whistle one more time. I'm going to strangle you with your own whistle, lady. Because it was the most frustrating thing ever. I'm like, how is anyone supposed to prevail in this game when every time we try to stop the other team, you're saying obstruction? You know what the problem was? I didn't understand the rules. I didn't know how to play. Do you know? I think life is kind of a little bit like that. We don't always understand the rules. And so sometimes it's like God calls obstruction. You're like, are you serious? You know, is that is that is that a sin? Is that error? It would be so much easier if life just came with a manual. Where if, if life came with a manual and you could look it up and you could say, Aha, I see. This is what we're supposed to do in this specific circumstance. When this event happens, that's how we handle it. And that's how we treat people. Well, we don't really have a manual, but we do have the Scriptures. And the Scriptures point us to a certain way of living. The scriptures point us to, to how we're supposed to treat people, how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to act. Do you know that God, when He uh, created the world and 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 people started to fill it, fulfill it or fill it? Sorry, um, Israel. They said to God with that same independent spirit, "Hey, listen. Um, let us achieve what you've created for us for, and let us achieve it without you. How can we? Can you give us a manual, some kind of guide, some kind of way that we could uh, live life and do it well. Could you do that? And God said, okay, if you want to do life independent of me, if you want to make it and become, you know, righteous on your own, I'll do that for you. Here are 613 commandments. And if you can nail all of these things and you never mess up, you never make a mistake, you'll be doing it all on your own. So if you think that that's manageable, then go right for it. So that's what he did. He gave it to them. Do you know that Have you ever tried to put something together from Ikea and it comes with instructions? And you read the instructions and you think, come on, they must have messed this up. They haven't included some of the pieces that I need, you know? I mean, I find Ikea instructions... Don't ever buy anything from Ikea. I find Ikea instructions kind of confusing sometimes. And yet, can you imagine trying to live your life by 613 commandments and every day trying to make sure that you don't mess anything up? I mean, even if you're building something from Ikea and you put the bolt in the wrong hole, you're like, oh, that doesn't go there. And then you can take it out and put the right one in. And it happens to me a lot. And, you know, you can do that. But, you know, when it comes to life, you weren't able to do that. Do you know they said if you make one, if you break one of these things, you're actually accountable for breaking them all. So you just, you know, how, how difficult, how, how hard would it be to live that way? So God said <laughs> in a certain way, When you want something done right, you do it yourself. So he sent himself. He sent Jesus. And he sent himself because you know what? We weren't making any progress with all the laws that God gave us. We weren't making any way forwards. So he sent his one... He sent his only son, he sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we were unable to live. And Jesus was a great guy and people really loved him, but not everyone did. You see, there were some really offensive things about Jesus. He was able to live this incredible and perfect life. But you know, the thing about Jesus is, is he was so apt at calling sin, sin. And some of the religious leaders of the day, they didn't really like their sin being pointed out. But he would just call it as he sees it because he was just honest. He was straight up. He'd call it as he sees it. And that people, they literally just found him offensive. But can I tell you something this, this morning that as much as Jesus is apt at pointing out sin in people's lives, he's the same God that died for the people that he was pointing out sin in. Can I tell you this morning that wherever you've come from, whatever your background, whatever your history, please don't ever be offended by Jesus. Because, you know, He is good at pointing out sin. He is good at pointing to what the problems might be. But He's also the same God that brought the solution. The same God that points out your sin is the same God that put Himself on the cross so you would never have to pay the penalty for your sin. That's the God that we serve. You cannot be offended with the God that loves you that much. You know, even when he's pointing out sin, he's really just trying to help people to live. When, God, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, um, they, they came and they, they took him away. And they convened a, a number of trials, a series of trials. And those trials were illegal. They were at night. They were in the early hours of the morning. And those trials were designed for one thing, which is to always find him guilty, No matter what. See, the problem was, is that Jesus said that he was the Christ. And that was highly offensive to the religious people of the day. They said, you can't say that you are Jesus. You can't say that you are the Christ. You cannot say that you are God. You cannot say that you are the Messiah. And so they came and they arrested him. And Jesus was convened at this trial and they had brought witness after witness. And, you know, they're spitting on him and they're they're punching him in the face. And they're saying, prophesy who hit you. You know, if you're so great, why don't you tell us who punched you? Because they would blindfold him and so forth. And they brought him witness after witness, and they would say, this is what he said. And then someone else would come in, and they'd say something a bit different. And in the end, they just couldn't really pin anything on him. The, the testimonies were kind of conflicting. And the religious leaders were really looking for a way to find Jesus guilty, but they can't do it. So the high priest named Caiaphas he has an idea, and he, he basically pins the whole thing on this one question that he asks Jesus. And he says to him, Are you the Christ? Now, you will have read this in your Bible. You may not really understand what's going on there. When he said, Are you the Christ? He was asking him a direct question. It's called the oath of testimony. And whatever Jesus says to that, they go with. My point is that Jesus had an opportunity in answering that question, to never go to the cross. He had an opportunity at that point to get off scot-free, to walk out, and they wouldn't have been able to really pin anything on him. But Jesus, not being able to lie, he says, I am the Christ. He, he, He admits it. You see, the thing about Jesus is, is that he had so many opportunities to drop the world. He had so many opportunities to walk away and he knew exactly what was coming. You know, we're reading the scriptures today and it said that he was tortured so badly that his face was beyond recognition. It was hard to recognize him as a human. Can you imagine the kind of pressure and stress that that might put on a person? And all he has to do is say no. All he has to do is say nothing and he could walk away. And he was compelled. He was drawn in. He was compelled to say, yes, I am the Christ. You know, Jesus said that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I've got the authority to lay it down. I've got the authority to take it up. No one's making this decision for me. I make this decision today. I'm going to the cross. When he made that decision to go to the cross, what was lying and waiting for him was that he would be dragged before Pilate. He would be punished. He would be beaten. He would be spat on. They would take a crown of thorns and they'd press it into his head. They would whip him so hard with what they called a cat of nine tails that would tear flesh from his body. They made him carry a cross and they made him carry the cross all the way to the top of Golgotha called the place of the skull. And then they put him and stretched him out upon the cross. They took nails and they drove them through his hands. They took one nail and drove it through both feet and they lifted him up. And it was the most shameful death that anyone could die. The point of the cross was shame. The point of the cross was pain. He died the most painful and shameful death that they could come up with and invent at the time. And he had every opportunity to get out of it. And when Caiaphas said, are you the Christ? Instead of getting out of everything, he said, I am the Christ. I am. He went there willingly. I want to tell you about two stories today about two men that had the same problem. Two stories about two men that had the same problem. The first story is a story about a man who was paralyzed. You can read this. It's in the Scriptures. I'm just going to tell you the story for the sake of time. And he was paralyzed. So his friend said, we've got to get this guy healed. So Jesus has come to town, and Jesus is great at healing people. So if we can get... Our friend before Jesus, then we think that he's going to be able to walk again. So they take their friend and they carry him to where Jesus is teaching. He's sort of in a house and he's teaching and people are crowded all around the house. And they came there, but they couldn't get into the house because the crowd was too thick. So they're thinking, well, how are we actually going to get in there? Well, they have this bright idea and they say, well, let's climb onto the roof. And and they start to dig through the roof and pull the roof uh, uh, apart. You know, and Jesus is teaching and I can sort of just imagine there's like dirt falling. He's thinking, what's going on? You know, and then it says that when they'd opened it up large enough, they lowered the man before Jesus and then Jesus... Uh, is sitting there teaching and suddenly this paralyzed man is lying directly in front of him. And Jesus looks at the man and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees hear this and they say, what? How can you say that? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, which is easier for me to say that your son, your sins are forgiven Or to say, rise, pick up your bed and walk. But so you know that I've got the authority to do both these things, he turns to the man and says, rise, pick up your bed and walk. And with that, the paralyzed man rises, picks up his bed and walks out of there. And everyone's astounded. When he says, so you know I have the authority to do this, the word authority means out of the original stuff. In other words, what Jesus was really saying is, Pharisees, when you teach, you teach with deferred authority. But when I teach, I teach with original authority. And that's how I'm here in my position, being able to not only forgive sin, but also to say to somebody, rise, pick up your bed and walk. And he walks straight out of there. Jesus had that original authority. It wasn't something that he deferred. But the thing that I found most interesting about this passage is that he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. If you were in that position and a man was brought before you that couldn't walk, what would you think his greatest need was? To walk. If you saw somebody that was brought to you and they were sick in their body, and it was very obvious that they were sick in their body, what would you think their greatest need is? The sickness, the illness. And yet Jesus says, sees a paralyzed man before him and he says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you because forgiveness was the man's greatest need. And sin was actually the man's biggest problem. It's so easy to think what our biggest problems might be, but our greatest need is forgiveness from God and our biggest problem is sin. And I'm wondering what we think our biggest problems are today. I wonder what you think your biggest problem in life is right now. You know, when I was a child, I thought my biggest problem was my parents seeing my report card. I would avoid at every turn parent-teacher interviews. I was quite good at forging my parents' signature. They're hearing this for the first time today. And I would, at every point, every time the report card would come home, you know what it said? Same thing every time. Ben would do well if he would just talk less. You know, people are still saying that to me today. I thought, I'm going to do something with that skill one day. He said, the report card would come home. I thought that was my biggest problem. Do you know, when I was a teenager, do you know what my biggest problem became? My parents. They are my biggest problem. There's all things happening in life. I want to go to that party. They won't let me. I want to uh, go here and do that. I want to take the car out for a drive. You don't have your license. You know, the thing is, I'm like my parents, they're just preventing me from being able to do the things that I really want to do. How many of us understand that freedom isn't found in the absence of restraints, of all restraints, but within the confines of some? You know, I would never let my kids have absolute freedom because they'd end up getting trapped. They'd end up getting hurt in some way. So I understand that as a parent now. But back then, I'm like, man, my biggest problem right now is probably my parents. They're not letting me live the life that I want to live. When I was in my 20s, I got married. I was married at 24. And I'm like, you know, my biggest problem is I need more money so I can buy a house, so I can look after my family. We're going to have a baby. We're going to have more kids. And, you know, I, I need more money. I wonder what you think your biggest problem is today. Because our biggest problems in life always seem to be that person or that issue or something outside of ourselves. But Jesus would never say that to you. Do you know what Jesus would say? He would say that your greatest need right now is forgiveness and your biggest problem is sin. Let me tell you a story about the second man. The second man was a rich man and he comes before Jesus and he kneels and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you know what to do. I mean, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. That is a good one. He says, you know what to do. See, the Pharisees, they would say the way to get eternal life was to obey God and to avoid sin. The problem was that that was basically impossible. But the man says to Jesus, yes, yes, I know. I've been doing all of these things since... I I know how to do this. I'm doing these things really well. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, you lack one more thing. Because he was a wealthy person. He said, go sell all that you have and follow me. And it says the man went away, disheartened. He was sad because he was a man of great wealth. See, the thing that Jesus says is, he says, come follow me. And people that don't follow Jesus aren't living the life that he's really calling them to. The man was trying to get everything right but he still wasn't following Jesus. He wasn't living the life that God had actually called him to. Do you know that people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, they think like a Pharisee. Avoid sin, obey God, that makes you a good person. They think like a Pharisee. But Jesus Jesus doesn't think like that. God himself doesn't think like that. God himself never wanted to give the law. He never wanted to hand out that, uh, that IKEA manual that was going to help people to get free in life. He would have just as soon forgiven their sins and covered them and actually passed over their sins. But they said, no, nah, let us do it on our own. It's that spirit of independence that comes back. Let me read to you a quote. The gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It's about being called to follow a king. Not just someone with the power and authority to tell you what needs to be done, but someone with the power and authority to do what needs to be done and then offer it to you as good news. The gospel is good news. Jesus dying on the cross to take the penalty of your sin, that is good news. Here's what you need to know today. Easter is the answer to your biggest problem and your greatest need. Easter is the answer. Your biggest problem in life is that you've got sin in in your life. Your greatest need right now, whatever you think it may be, is actually forgiveness. And Easter is the answer to the problem of sin and the need of forgiveness. I'll tell you why it's so important that you need to know that. Because life will always try to convince you that your biggest problem is something else. Life will always try to convince you that your biggest problem is that other person. Your biggest problem right now, it's your boss. Your biggest problem right now is your addiction. That's your biggest problem. If you think about addiction, imagine something that you are doing that you wish you could stop and you can't and you think that that's your biggest problem right now no your biggest problem is sin and your greatest need is forgiveness life always tries to point us to what our biggest problems are but the thing that's concealed in all of that is that inside us we've got sin and jesus is the answer to our greatest problem i want to share a scripture with you before jesus was crucified. He spoke with his disciples, and this is what he says. He said, Now my soul is troubled. When he said, My soul is troubled, it means that his soul was stirred within him. He says, My soul is stirred, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In other words, shall I ask that I would be saved from this? Shall I actually say to God that, you know what? I don't want to do this. Shall I say that to God? But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Are you kidding me? Have you ever heard a voice and thought, thunder? Never. Have you ever done that in your life? And some said that they thought it was an angel that had spoken to him. And Jesus said, This voice has come. Uh, This voice has come for your sake and not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You know, in Jesus' final hours, a lot of things happened. He says that now is the time for the judgment of this world. And you know, if you're here today and and you're not a Christian and you hear that word judgment, it's always synonymous with negativity. No one wants to be judged Except in this particular instance, it's the best news that you've ever heard. Because what it really means is, is that if you have given your life to Jesus, the wrong things that you've done have already been judged. And not only that, but Christ has paid the penalty for them. In the final hours of Jesus's life was your judgment. In the final hours of Jesus' life was your justification. You know what that means? It means that Jesus gives you His perfect life in place of your sinful one. Do you know what justification means? It doesn't just mean that Jesus forgives you of your sins and that you're even, but it actually means that he puts the righteousness of Christ upon you so that when you come before your God, when you begin to pray to him, he doesn't see your sin and he doesn't see your shame and he doesn't see the problems and he doesn't see the addictions and he doesn't see all the issues that are in your life. He sees the righteousness of Christ on you. How many people do you know that don't feel comfortable coming before God because there's issues in their life. And if you're a Christian, you already know this because when you mess up in life, there's something that makes you not want to get before God in prayer because you realise, oh, I shouldn't have done that thing. But what you need to do is begin to renew your mind in what the truth is. And the truth is, is that you have been forgiven. Your sins were judged 2,000 years ago so that when you become, when you come before your God, even though you messed up, even though you made mistakes, even though you did things you wish you never did, you can come before God, walk into His presence with confidence and say, here I am and He looks upon you and He sees the righteousness of Christ upon you. That is the completed work. That is the finished work of Christ. Christ on the cross. Do you know, in the final hours of Jesus' life, this is the thing that he did. The truth is, is that without Jesus, God would punish you for your sin. God would punish you for the wrong things that you've done. And when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross in place of your sin, he became a sacrifice that turned what would have been God's wrath upon you into favor. Into favor. There is favor on you. If you're a person who's given your life to Jesus, there is favor upon you. When God looks at you, if you've received Jesus into your heart, When God looks upon you, he doesn't see the shame. He doesn't see the mistakes. He sees the righteousness of Christ upon you. That is the work that Jesus did. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he forgave you of your sin. When Jesus' final final hours, it was the timely answer to your biggest problem, which is sin, and your greatest need, which is forgiveness. So here's what you need to do this morning, just as I bring this to a close. There are probably different, there are people in this room at different stages in life today. The first thing you need to do is if you never asked Jesus into your life, you need to do that. That's the first, one of the most important steps. You need to actually invite Jesus in. You know, last night I was talking to my two kids about Easter. And I explained to them what Jesus had done and what he accomplished on the cross. And... My son, Isaac, said to me, Dad, um, if I invite Jesus in, does he come and live in my stomach? (laughs) I said, no, he doesn't live in your stomach. I said, but he sort of lives in your heart. And what I mean by that is he speaks into your mind and he leads you and he guides you. And he said, Dad, after half an hour of discussing this backwards and forwards so that he understood exactly what was going on, he said, Dad, well, how do I do that? I said, Isaac... I said, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart right now tonight? He said, oh, Dad, I do. So I led him in a prayer. My son, he's four years old, and he understands that he doesn't get everything right in life. Last night, he gave his life to Jesus, and then he went to sleep. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, today you need to do that. You need to invite Him into your heart. You need to listen so you can hear His voice and listen to Him and follow Him. You need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. And you know what? It's asking Jesus for forgiveness. You give your life to Him just one time. But if you have been living in such a way that actually you haven't been around God for a long time, now you haven't been close to Him, maybe today what you really need to do is reconnect with Him. And when I say reconnect, maybe you say, God, I'm sorry I've been absent. I'm sorry that I haven't been listening to you. I'm sorry I haven't prayed. I'm sorry that I haven't been close to you. You know what God says? He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Some of you this morning, what you really need to do is you just need to draw near to God. And you don't need to draw near to God and be worried that He's not going to come close to you. I'm telling you this morning that if you draw near to Him, If you ask for forgiveness and say, God, I want to come into your presence this morning, He will draw near to you. And finally, some of you just need to make a decision to follow Him. You've asked for forgiveness. You've invited Jesus into your life, but you're just not following Him. He's not present in your life. It would be an absolute secret that you're a Christian to everyone who knows you, because it's so clear with your current life, that you're not following Jesus. And the reason you need to do all of these things is so that your biggest problem in life will be fixed, sin. It's not sickness, it's not addiction, it's not disease, it's not having no money, it's not your parents, it's not your kids, it's not everyone else. Your biggest problem is not outside of you. Your biggest problem is actually inside of you. It's called sin. And Easter is the answer to your biggest problem. Your greatest need right now. If you're here today and you checked your bank account before you came and you didn't have a lot of money in there, you think that that's your biggest problem. Nope. Your biggest problem right now is that you. your biggest problem is sin. But your greatest need right now is that you need forgiveness from God. Can we stand together this morning?